0: Just hi. I'm just saying hi. You don't have to clap or anything. <clears throat> Listen, I can't stress it enough, and I don't know if all the, ca- the hosts in the different campuses said this yet, but next weekend, uh, it will be a very powerful weekend, but it is definitely a, I don't know what to say, rated R weekend, I don't know how to tell you enough. Do not bring children into the service next weekend. They should not even be in the courtyards or anywhere else where they're listening to the message. We are, for 45 minutes, going to be talking about the issue of pornography. And even though this affects children that are under, say, 12 years old, of course it does. We know it is. We need to have an adult conversation. And so please, I'm asking you, we are going to try to stop parents at the door with children. I know we'll make some parents mad who won't understand, but believe me, uh, we are already working on the material, and it is not for a 10-year-old to be listening to. All right, so today, however, on today's sermon, children are going to love it. Uh, like, that sounds crazy. Pastor Steve's here, you're going to love it. But anyway, I'm just saying it's going to be great. And let's start by some of our younger leaders uh, reading us the text out of the book of Proverbs. Here we go. These Proverbs are for attaining wisdom. For acquiring a disciplined and well-ordered life. For doing what is right and just and fair for giving knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my child, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. There will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My child, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, And if you look for it as for silver, and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. My child, do not forget my teaching. Keep my commandments in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. My child, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. For the Lord will be your confidence. Train a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not turn from it. (laughs) Oh, amen. Um, You don't have to be a parent to be glad that your church is on this topic today. We live in a crazy time to be raising kids. More than ever, we need our church to help us, to come alongside us as parents uh, with coaching and encouragement Uh, adapted from these ancient texts. Whether we're talking about two parents living in a home or a single parent home or a blended family or foster parents, heck, we've got people around here raising their grandkids in their home. Uh, So Cornerstone invests heavily on every campus because we cannot lose the kids. We have to keep our eyes on this prize. We have to, as our children's ministry reminds us always to say, imagine the end. Say that with me. That's for the adults to do. Uh, Chances are your daughter's not thinking way far out there. Uh, She's most likely concerned about what's happening in her life in real time with all her friends. Uh, But it's our job as parents to look further out and do what? That's right. What are we hoping for them? What's the end game? How do we help them get there? What important choices must they be making now in order to not limit their choices later? Um, Who are they going to be? What are they going to accomplish? How will they feel in those moments and times? What's the world going to look like 10, 20, 30 years from now? The world that they will be raising their children in and the world that they will be leading in, how are we preparing them for life as an adult in this society? When you open up the book of Proverbs, you quickly discover it is written in the form of a long letter from a wise father in the 10th century B.C. to his son. If you just look at chapter 1, you see it. He just starts in talking to his son and saying, I want you to to garner, I want you to learn. I'm giving you an almanac of wisdom from the life that I have lived. The dad in the book of Proverbs, uh, he's obviously got high hopes for this kid. So we relate to that, because we have high hopes for our sons and daughters, don't we? Don't we? Well, Livermore, they weren't sure. All right. So let's pause right there with the word hope. Hopes and dreams, hope. Let's ask ourselves a simple question. What hopes and dreams do you have for your children? What hopes and dreams do you have for children? That's not a rhetorical question. I actually, I'm going to want you to 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 process an answer as I'm talking. And of course, you'll do you'll do better after you've had some more time to think. But actually, take a stab at it right now. And as you formulate your answer, I'm going to ask you to narrow it down to just a word or two. In other words, encapsulate the whole word, whole thought, in a word that would be that would make make sense. Now that's difficult but I think it forces us to evaluate this. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about and some examples of what other people said when they were surveyed with this question. What one word best describes your hopes and dreams for your children. And this is what, these were of the most common answers. Okay, so how does that uh, compare with with, with your, uh, your answers. I want you to do now is I want you to turn and tell the people around you what your answers were. We're gonna leave this up and kinda how you relate to these or what would be for you a better word for your hopes and dreams for your children. Ready, go. Okay, I think, I, I just did that because I'd really love to get you talking about that uh, this, uh, this week. If you ta- and if you, if you take the time to, to, to start to read or to listen to the entire book of Proverbs, what I think will happen is that the Proverbs father might say something about what you just said uh, and might cause you to ask yourself, do I have the right hopes and dreams for my children or could there be something better? And not that there's a right answer Uh, you know, Jesus, God, love, I don't know which one I should have said there, Uh, but some of our conscious and and actually some of our subconscious goals for our kids really are better than other goals that we might have or that we might have had or even that our parents might have had for us. Uh, And like it or not, our goals, our dreams for our kids are driving our parenting intentional or not. So let's just... uh, Let's just pick three of these words and evaluate them. And I, I picked happy and successful and smart. These were of the actually the top five in all the different surveys you see online. Happy, successful, smart were very, very, uh, very high. So let's pick those words. Let's, t- let's talk about the word successful. Successful. And that's a good word. You want your child to be successful. But wait, what do, what do you mean by that word? See, often when Bay Area people use the word successful, what, what are they saying? Yeah. And they might call it being comfortable. No one says, I want my child to be filthy rich. I mean, some do, but most don't because it's kind of tacky, you know. I, just, I really don't hope anything for them except that they're just really, really rich. Uh, successful, comfortable what we usually mean is doing well financially. And what's wrong with that? Well, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying the Bible says it's wrong. The Proverbs manual does not say that that is wrong. Why shouldn't your children reap the financial rewards of their hard work and sacrifice and all that you've taught them? The Bible encourages the creation of wealth by ethical means. But then again, Proverbs and Paul and Jesus don't stop there Uh, with words that might imply only financial success. So be careful what you wish for, uh, especially when it comes to your children. Being rich wouldn't be good for some of our kids. So the Bible offers, uh, the authors, they offer something better than stopping at that goal and having these comforts at the top of our list of dreams and goals for our kids. Let's say just for argument's sake that you are that parent. You're the the parent that pushes their child, some would say, a little too hard towards uh, graduating, towards grad school, towards a a degree that leads to a lucrative career. And you continually point out to your child the more of the lucrative uh, careers. That really is what you believe should motivate a child, any child. And I would ask you to reconsider that. Uh, because if financial success is the only drum that you're ever banging, you could be raising a highly pressured child who knows there's only really one way to please you, and we don't want to narrow things down so much with our kids. You know, the only way I can please my dad is if I go to this, and then I and I and then this is one of three jobs that my parents have said this would be. Uh, otherwise, you should kind of be uh, ashamed of yourself. Well, it would it would be a shame. For that child to have to rebel from that in order to follow after their dreams or their passion and especially their true uh, gifting. In order to rebel from your idea of what success is in order to truly find their God-given calling. So what the Bible is going to do, it's going to try to coach you past that to the potential of, yeah, my child might end up with, with some creature comforts. But I want to press them at this stage and even later towards operating in their gifting and finding their purpose. And these are very, very important words. See, the world will always congratulate the parent whose adult children have graduated with a prestigious degree and are now on the path towards material success. But Proverbs, Paul, Jesus, Peter, John, James, they're all going to push you towards something Better, raising child's children into adulthood, who have learned this, this secret. Paul calls it contentment. I've learned the secret to success. I, I, it's contentment. I, I'm at peace no matter what the circumstances. Now this would be better than, than raising a child that's only gonna be happy after they get the postgraduate degree and after they get that, that career and all those figures. You know, we used, to talk, we, used to, we used to talk about six figures and now it's like, well, whatever. Uh, instead to say, you know, yeah, I want you to push. I want you to grow, but honestly, we could be content right now no matter what the circumstances. Let me show you as your single mom that yes, my life's tough, but I wanna model for you that I'm actually content being your mom and I'm content with the job I have. I'm content with what we're doing, even though we do actually have less than what some other people have. Our happiness is not centered around our money or our possessions. How's that for preaching? Is it anything? Amen, Yahoo, Goody, I agree. Because if they do somehow attain financial success, well, good on them. But whether they do or not, they were prepared long ago by you how to not only create wealth, but then to share the wealth. Because along through the whole process, you also were modeling for them this quality, generous. You are generous in every way, even now. And they become generous by watching you be generous. And if they aren't generous enough, you kind of enforce generosity until it you know, catches on. All right, so let's pick another word. What was another word we picked? Happy. Let's pick the word happy and talk about it. That's a very common response when you ask a parent, what do you want for your child? And they say, you know what, I don't really care about all that, I just want them to be happy. And once again, there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible authors want that for your kids too, but more, more than wanting your children to be happy, the Bible authors are going to want your children to be holy. This is much more important in scripture, and you'll see it. A person could be perfectly happy, and yet be living very sinfully. This is more important for this life and for the life to come. Uh, It's not okay for a person to be happy in, in, in a terrible, selfish, prideful, sinful lifestyle. And for a Christ follower, happiness is absolutely unsustainable if you neglect holiness. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen someone who was once following hard after, after God and then they, 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 they just fell away and they're, and they're just out there trying to have some fun. You run into them, they're just showing you how much fun they're having. But man, just under the surface, it's pretty obvious they're really not happy. Why is that? Because they tasted holiness and holiness was so cool that this other stuff they're, they're going after to try to find that happiness, they're absolutely wrecked. Uh, And so what you do is you teach your children to find their happiness in holiness. Now I'll just tell you, as uh, not you with your perfect daughter, but I raised these three boys. And I know you've heard about pastor's kids. It's true. (laughs) I'll just tell you this. Most of your children will push back on this holiness piece. Because you're actually talking about behaviors that aren't in other homes of the kids in their school. You're talking about actual things, and your kids are immediately going to start telling you how strict you are, how unfair you are. You correct their potty mouth in front of their friends. You check their social media. What parent does that? Uh, You don't allow them to attend a certain party or leave the house dressed like that, and you're just like, this is so unfair. All right, so listen, I'll just tell you this. If your teenager never complains to you like that, you need to tighten it up. That's normal. That's normal teenage behavior. You're supposed to be strict enough that the kids complain. That's the, and not arbitrary strictness, not mean strictness, not... Illogical, strict. Now, it'll be illogical to them, but not where you don't have a purpose for this guardrail you're putting up on the, on the, on the side of this cliff uh, that they're trying to go over and look over. No, you, you have a purpose for it, but then once you set the guardrail, the guardrail is set. And you're not unfair with too heavy consequences unless they keep disobeying. The consequences have to increase until the behavior changes. You have to be consistent and stubborn. Uh, you're God's ordained barrier between them and a pit that other children are falling into with their parents standing right there encouraging it. Absolutely not. You're the parent. So why don't we say that? I'm the parent. Now if you're not a parent, you can't say that. Just be quiet. I'm the parent. I'm the parent, doggone it. So you can't say potty mouth. You you just have to say doggone it. I'm the parent. God didn't assign you to be that kid's favorite buddy. God assigned you to be the dad that that kid gripes to his buddy about. Figure out your role. You're the only mom they have. No one fills in for you if you forget that. Learn to say, our family is different than that family. These are our values. These are our behaviors. Learn to get and stay in charge of your family. Families are not led by children. Families are led by parents. Parents who are acting like adults. Now, sometimes you'll do it wrong, and when you do it wrong, you need to apologize quickly and sincerely, and you need to try to stop doing it wrong. That kid needs to hear, I'm sorry, as much as they hear, I love you. Nevertheless, the next morning, after you were so sorry, you're still sorry, but guess what else you still are? The parent. You're still in charge, and this is a good lesson for them anyway, because they'll learn that even though the boss is wrong, guess what? The boss is still Yeah, that's a good lesson to learn at some point in your life. All right, let's keep moving. Let's talk about the word smart. Smart. A lot of, you know, man, I want my kid to be smart. And and most most people won't say, I want my kid to be smart. They'll say what? My kid is smart. And what are they saying? My kid's smarter than your kid. It is a competition. But the Proverbs parent wants something more for their child. Even better than smart. The Proverbs parent trades smart for wise. Wise. This is what the Bible wants your child to be. This is what the Holy Spirit wants your child to be. Look at Proverbs and count the words that he says wise or wisdom and you'll go, oh, that is a parenting absolutely foundational you want the child to become wise not just memorizing the facts not just reciting the facts but applying the facts your child has to learn more than how to solve math problems your child has to learn how to solve life problems you can help them become wise in relationships by demonstrating that yourself you can show them how to be wise in ethics by, by, by showing them the corners that you guys don't cut in your family. Wise in cause and effect, wise with money, wise to take care of their stuff, wise to learn how to get what they need and to get some of what they want. IQ is great, but social IQ is better. Emotional IQ is better. Spiritual IQ is better. How life works IQ is better. Lines that I will never cross IQ, better. Wisdom is better than knowledge. Because when their adult life becomes confusing and difficult, and what do you think, adults? Will that ever happen to them? When their adult life just completely falls apart, and not necessarily because of something they even did, they need to be wise, and that A- minus in AP biology is not going to help them in that moment. So keep your values and your perspectives straight, even when they're a junior in high school, and they're trying to get into that school, which I know is important. I've been there. But there are things that are actually more important. Life is a playground, but it's also a minefield, and your kid has got to get ready for, for both. Let's raise kids that are ready. Proverb kids are ready. Ready? Proverbs kids grow in knowledge and in wisdom. Friends, our own homes are by far our most important discipleship environments. Our number one priority is discipling our own children with no other priority, even close. No other discipling your relationship. No other project person in your life. If your kids are not getting enough of your attention, don't sign up to disciple somebody else. Just disciple your kids. This is an important season in your life, and it will pass. The other day, I invited a young father who's also a great golfer to join us for 18 holes of golf, and he turned me down flat. He was really nice about it, and I just thought he didn't want to hang out with a couple of old guys. Come to find out, he said, no, I'd love to play. It was really fun the last time we did it, but he goes, since then, I've made a decision. I'm hanging out my golf clubs during this season in my life because I just don't have time to do that and be a good dad on a Saturday. And I'm like, wow, that is impressive. And, and the other thing is, I know this guy, I know his kids, they're awesome. I'm like, well, oh, they're pretty awesome. They won't miss you. Let's go play golf. You know, I'm like, no, I, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. But he and I had this really good discussion about the whole quality time, quantity time thing. And he says, you know why I'm home on a Saturday? Because quality time is a myth. There is no such thing as somehow setting up quality time with your kids. It never happens when you try to set it up, and especially if you're doing an expensive event. Expensive events are always a letdown, and you will even yell at your children in the middle of Disneyland because they're not enjoying themselves enough, and this costs a lot of money. (laughs) Quality time comes in the middle of quantity time on a Saturday at like 1045 when all of a sudden you're teaching your kids some skill, and you didn't know you were gonna teach them that that day, but they're just super interested in it right now, and you're having mother-daughter, mother-son, father-son time, and you're going, we have the coolest family. Two hours later, you'll be screaming at each other, but in that moment, (laughs) you'll be leaning into what Solomon said in, in, in Psalm 127. Children are a gift from the Lord. Babies are a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Come to find out those little rugrats you're raising, they aren't rats at all. They're arrows. (laughs) You're crafting arrows today. And tomorrow, they will sail out into the world straight and right towards a target. Proverbs is so cool. Solomon's writing is so cool. We could do a whole series on, on, on parenting just out of Proverbs. You know, this, is, this might be your takeaway today because many moms and dads will say, I want to do Bible study with my kids. I want to have a family us, talking about the Bible. but Then the parent never starts because they don't, know, they don't know where to start. So I'll just tell you where to start. Proverbs. Proverbs is the absolutely best book in the Bible for this. It is the most practical book in the Bible. You can do a few verses and then just stop and talk. It, it goes all over the place. Uh, you can just keep reading. And if the kids are too young, you've got to kind of watch it because there's a woman in there trying to get the boy to do stuff he shouldn't do. And you know, but you can read ahead. <laughs> but I think that might be your takeaway because Proverbs is like, it's like a gold mine that ne- no one's ever visited. And you walk in there and you just, you're just like, look at that one, look at that one, look at that one. You have to actually slow down so that you really enjoy each one at a time. And that's what we're gonna do now. Let's let's take time and do two Proverbs and that's all we'll have time for. And hopefully I'll whet your appetite for, for doing more. Let's do Proverbs three, five and six. Here we go. Oh this is a good one. Read it with me out loud. Trust Okay, now I'm convinced this proverb is more for the parent than the child. Uh, It's for both, but this is a proverb that will be caught and not taught. As the parent does this, a a, a halfway intelligent child, and I raised one of those of the three, uh, will will look at this and go, yeah, that, that looks like my mom. That's what my mom does. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. When you're anxious, you speak your heart. And you say, hey, heart, what are you so upset about? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. When our hearts are breaking, we, we comfort our hearts by saying, hey, heart, don't rely on your own understanding right now. Don't rely on your own Don't lean on your own understanding right now. Lean on this over here. Just fall apart in God's arms right now. And just say, I don't understand. And he says, I know you don't understand. That's why I have understanding see according to proverbs we and later our children have to learn to discern when it's time to just acknowledge god and trust him and not to trust anything else believing with our whole heart that he is already straightening out the path ahead even though we can't see it even though we can't hear it even though we can't feel his presence proverbs tells us that if we will do this and we will do this then he We'll do this. It's simple. It's just really, really difficult. Because usually we're supposed to rely on our own intellect. And we're supposed to rely on our own wisdom that comes from experience. Yes, we are. And that's a good thing. But sometimes all bets are off. And in those m- moments, we have, we have to have learned to have trained ourselves, first of all, to identify this moment as such, and then to say, this is not a, a time when I'm gonna lean heavily on my own understanding. I am taking my hands off the wheel illogically here because I sense that God is trying to do something. And I, I, I just, I've seen him do it before, and I'm acknowledging him in all my ways. I'm acknowledging that he is this and he does this and the first time you ever see God take charge of something that was absolutely, you just went, okay, it's done. A grenade went off in this. And then, and then he, he just comes, and he's just like, nope, 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 got it, got it, got it. And next thing you know, you're walking down a straight path, and you're like, how did that happen? It's because he sees you. He sees you when your heart is uh, lying to you. I told you this story before, Um, it was a long time ago. I was driving down 580 in the pouring rain. I was traveling east. I hit, I was before Santa Rita, actually. I remember right where I pulled over. It was raining so hard, but that's not why I pulled over. I pulled over because I was sobbing. I sat there reflecting on the day. Earlier that day, Brenda had called and said that limp that Kevin couldn't get get away from, you know, the, the, the specialist had now said that it was, it was really bad news. Kevin's little five-year-old hip was degenerating. It looked like, the x-rays looked like he had gotten hit by a car just from the degeneration. Lot, no blood flow going to the femur. Accepted medical procedures pointed in one direction and only one direction. A childhood of body casts, braces, metal and leather, and potential surgeries. Lots of pain, lots of rehab. This kid was going to be watching baseball rather than playing baseball. And as I was driving home, I just fell apart. I don't know how long I sat there on the side of the road. The 18 wheelers were just flying by, hitting me with the rain and the mud. And, and all of a sudden, there was a knock on my window. I, I thought it was high patrol. It it wasn't It was my friend Paul He had seen my car And circled back And pulled up behind me And was knocking on my window I let him in He said are you all right?" And I just You know guys That's why we hate to cry Because after we cry It's ugly And after we cry We need a nap (laughs) Girls love to cry I never understand that I hate to cry And I was, I was mourning the loss of the son I thought was going to have such a fun time on that baseball field. Paul also is a pastor, but he offered no advice, no scriptures. We know a lot of scriptures. He just held my hand. He had big old hands. His big old hands. Just prayed for me. Just prayed, prayed, prayed till that till I calmed. And then uh, he said, "You're going to be okay. You're going to get home. Yeah." Got in his car, left. What would I have done if I didn't have a Christian friend? I needed him so bad that day. You never know when you're gonna need your friends. You better have some friends. Well, we got him, we got him to, to another specialist the, the, and then come to find out this guy who, who started treating our son had the very same disease, had grown up with the very same disease, had been diagnosed at the very same age as our son. He knew all of the standard procedures and he asked our permission to trust him with non-inv- non-invasive therapy and massage and just uh, rest and just seeing what we could do here. He was of the conclusion that all of that stuff that they did to kids when they were his age didn't even work. So man, we had a choice to make. You know, do we trust this doctor or would you trust everything else we're reading? And the lord told us to trust the doctor and we prayed through it and we came through it together we saw our kid i don't i don't even know his threshold for pain even to this this day is but the lord just took that kid and molded those hips in such a way by the time he hung up his baseball cleats as a senior in high school He had set the school record for stolen bases, and none of the coaching staff knew he had ever even had a problem. He was so fast. Catchers hated him. (laughs) And that was our son. Sometimes I would sit in the stands, just get choked up going, I didn't think I was gonna see this. And that was the season when Brenda and I decided, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 true or not? Because what we did was trusting the Lord with all our hearts and we leaned not on our own understanding and in all our ways, we acknowledged him and then he directed our path. He directed our son's path. As I reflect on these days, I see that the whole ordeal was as much for my benefit and for Brenda's benefit as it was for Kevin's benefit because of how we grew in our faith by watching our son struggle and come through. If I was God, I would have spared Kevin all that pain and all that fear. But I'm not in charge of my own son's destiny. And the God who is in charge loves him more than I do. So this is how Christian parents approach parenting. Hey, God, what do you want me to do with this child that you love more than I love? What do you want me to do with this child whose future you can see where I can't see it? What do you want to teach this child through pleasure and pain that I need to be okay with? Oh, when your kids are hurting, there's nothing worse. But when your kids come through, there's nothing better. All right, let's let's do another one. Let's do another one. That was one proverb. I'm telling you, just wear me out. Proverbs 22.6, let's do this one. Train a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Learn that. Learn that. Here we go. Learn it. Train. Now, I didn't say that. The Bible said that. But I got to tell you, this may not mean what you think it means. This is not a guarantee. This is not a lock. This is not a promise that God has to keep by forcing your child as an adult to do what they don't want to do. The rest of the Bible doesn't confirm that. Plus, there's parents in this room and in these other rooms all over the East Bay that had, did a great job parenting, and their child is still out there making terrible choices. So they would read that and go, well, guess we didn't get that copy of the Bible because we did this. So what does this mean? What this is saying is it's not a guarantee, but it is likely that if a parent is intentional and consistent with a well-thought-through strategy of training that child and if the parent stays that course in the way they should go, odds are this will pay off big time, even if for just this reason alone. Are you ready for it? You will always be in your child's head. <laughs> Amen. Call it a blessing, call it a curse, but they will be hearing you throughout their adult life. So make it a good thing. Make that a good thing. Make sure they don't hear this loud, shrill voice in their head. Uh, Make sure they don't hear an angry voice, a condemning voice, a shaming voice. Work to control your tone so that the playback volume isn't turned down later. Make sure the audio you are embedding in that 14-year-old plays well at 44. 44 but I promise you it will be playing at 44, no matter what job you did. So they'll either be talking to themselves about you or talking to a therapist about you. (laughs) You are embedding values in a subconscious mind. Call it manipulation, I don't care what you call it, that's exactly what you're doing. I call it parenting. And I love these Etsy plaques that so many of you have in your houses now. This is a real common thing among this next generation. I think that's fantastic. These are our family values, you know, and boy, this is great. And then I find out, well, they ordered it from somebody who made a thousand of them. And I'm kind of a little bit like, wait, whose family values are those again? Well, we really like those. And I go, well, you left one out. Well, you know, you can't just paint one in. Yeah, you could. Or you could have just made your own. That would have been cool, because your true family values are unique to your family. They are the repeated words and behaviors of the parents that you stubbornly drilled into those little hellions of yours from day one. Parents, live your values, speak your values. If you're not saying it or living it, it doesn't exist. That's like people saying, well, I I really don't know what I believe about God. Yeah, you know exactly what you believe about God, you're saying, I don't know what I should believe about. Okay, well, that's different. Your values are there. So let's get them out on the table. And then what's cool is as our kids get older, we can start to confess our faults more to our kids and say, this is not one of my values, but I struggle with this. And, and they'll go, really, Dad? What a surprise. But at least now, that, ooh, live your values. And look at this. Train up, in a ch- train up a child in the way they should go. What does that mean? in the way they should go. Well, I've studied this. I, I think it could go two different directions. The first way is just train up a child to follow close after Christ. The early Christians called themselves the way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the path. Train up a child to follow close after Christ, and chances are, when they're older, they won't stray from that. Or you could take it this way. Train up a child in the way they should go, which could mean according to what makes them unique. So you study that kid, and she's so different than her sister, and she's different than you, but this is not about you, and this is not about your sister. This is about her, so you make yourself an expert on this one individual child, her. Not the girl you wish she was, her. Of course, the longer you study her, the more you'll understand when the scripture says we are fearfully and wonderfully made because she may be very frustrating to you, and later you'll figure out she's your favorite and you can't tell anyone that. (laughs) Why? Because you just studied her long enough to figure her out, and by the time you figured it out, you loved her unconditionally. And she, by the way, is pretty darn awesome in the way she should go. The English phrase, in the way they should go, is translated from one Hebrew word. The Hebrew word, and the reason they can't translate it it, it means literally, according to how they bend, uh, and and we we will talk about someone's bent, like according to their bent, according to their bent. But even still, that's just kind of a we don't talk like that. So they say in the way they should go. But what a well, visual is? A, it's a wood carver. Uh, it's a person who works with wood to create either art or functional items for a home, like a yoke. And they get that piece of wood, and they're going to have to get it wet, and they're going to have to do some things. or are building a boat. So they study the wood according to how it is already bent before they start working on it. And, and they, they might take this unique knot, gnarly piece of wood or naughty piece of wood. Get what I did there? Naughty. Uh, but they slowly, carefully go to work on this thing to uncover beauty and form and function. So the Proverbs parent is anything but an Ikea parent is anything but a cookie cutter, one size fits all, just follow the pattern and everything will be fine, which never works with Ikea either. But uh, it, no, it's custom work, handcrafted. And you could have several children, and one is this, and one is this, and one is this. And they're like, they don't even look like they came from the same family. And you're like, yes, I did it. I'm awesome. I do that all the time. I look in the mirror. But see, long ago, you stopped comparing, comparing them negatively to the other child. Because why would you do that? They're different. You developed an appreciation for how they're different, for why they're different. And now you're, you're coaching them as they sort through a huge range of possibilities regarding just who they will be and what they will do, the, a process that will take them into their adult years. I mean, what 30-year-old has this all figured out even yet? But hey, if you were doing a great job at 15, maybe at 30 they'll still be talking to you about this and asking for your input, which is a really, really fun thing. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass a couple things because I don't wanna keep you here forever. And that's new for me. <laughs> when our children are young, we flatter them a lot. As we should. They are amazing. They're the best at everything. Their artwork goes on the fridge. We Instagram our friends because OMG, they love green beans, you know. Uh, everything about them is awesome. Early on, every player on the team gets a trophy, as they should. I have no problem with that as long as you're talking with, about small children. But a skilled Proverbs parent knows the difference between raising a first grader and raising an 11th grader. As they grow, we stop lying to them. (laughs) Flattery falls away, and real affirmation takes its place of a job well done, and there's no affirmation if the job wasn't well done, except I think I know that you tried, but I think you could have done better. Oh, Dad, that really hurts my feelings. I don't care. (laughs) I've seen you do better, and I don't think you should be proud of that. I don't think you should take that project to school. I think you should stay up all night and do a better one. I'll help you. Our children will never succeed in the adult world if they are raised in a never-ending affirmation bubble. By the time you shoot that arrow straight into the the world, that young adult better know what they're good at or at least have a feeling for how to find that out. It's not a good idea to tell a, a, a teenager as they're growing up that they can accomplish anything as long as they set their mind to it. That's a lie. People are designed differently with different purposes, not to go out and think they can do everything, but to go out and think they can do a few things so well that they'll kill it and maybe make a living doing it and especially be happy doing it. That's different than just get out there. If you believe it, you can achieve it. That's baloney. That's not even the Bible. There will be lazy people out there with that skill set that'll surpass them and not even break a sweat. They shouldn't be in that field. They should be over here doing what they've discovered they're really good at. And if they can't discover what they're really good at in in your home, which a a lot of us, it's later, they've learned how to learn it. How to fail and get over it. How to get on with it. And you're there all along fanning the flame. When I was in elementary school, my family moved to Kansas, and uh, we got to Kansas, and every one of those elementary kids was either in 4-H, 4-H or F-F-A, 4-H or F-F-A, and I was like, what is that? And of course, if you're in Livermore, if you're in Brentwood, you know, you got to help the Hayward folks out here. What is 4-H? You know what 4-H is, right? Well, what's F-F-A? Future Farmers of America. So my parents just gave me a choice. They're such good parents, they give me choices. You can either be in 4-H or FFA, but you're going to get out of the house and you're going to stay busy. I'm like, I don't want to do either one of those. I'm not a farmer and I don't even know what the H's are. (laughs) You know, health, heart, hamburgers. I have no idea. All I know is it's a club where they're going to make me do stuff and I don't necessarily want to do it. Yeah, yeah, you're going to do it. You're going to love it. Drop me off Monday, big school gym, you go in. There's hundreds of kids in there. And and then it started getting fun. They had all these electives. And so my parents would think, maybe he'll bring home a little pig and raise it and take it to the fair. And we'll kill it and let somebody else eat it. That'll be a good thing for him to do. You know, maybe he'll do it with a lamb. Um, No, I ain't doing any of that. I signed up for photography. (laughs) I went to 4-H and learned photography. I didn't really learn it. I'm terrible at photography. I signed up for Cooking for Boys. Now, that was cool, because we went to Maddie Fernelli's house, and a kitchen full of boys cooked, and she had raised boys, and we had a blast, and then we ate the food that we cooked, and then we swam all afternoon, Mm, cooking for boys, Uh, but I'm I'm a terrible cook to this day. The third thing I signed up for in 4-H, public speaking. Now, what third grader signs up for public speaking? This third grader, I had a blast. I found myself public speaking. And my parents, instead of talking to me about how weird I was, they just fanned the flame. And that's what got me here to you today. Thank you, Barbara Mattson, right? I've been comfortable public speaking since I was third grade. Someday I'll get good at it. Your child, well, I'll just say this, their contribution to this world will probably not be because they figured out how much they fit in and how much they can do things that everybody else does. Your child's contribution to this world will be when they don't fit in. So stop worrying so much about that they're not completely fitting in right now. I know it's painful. Is it's painful for them, it's painful for you. It brings up all your issues. But the people who lead in this world, the people who create in this world, the people who affect positive change in this world, they all felt at some point in their childhood that they don't fit in. That was a driving force toward their personal excellence then and later. What they needed in those moments was not an insecure parent with an iPhone in their hand trying to get their girl to act like those girls. What they needed was a parent that said, I've got your back. I I get it. I'm sorry you've had to select some new friends because our family doesn't do what your old friends are doing now. I'm sorry you're lonely. I'm sorry we're different. I'm sorry our whole family's different. But you know what, no I'm not. Why? Because different people change the world. And Christians are called to be different. And if the Christian families in your neighborhood don't start acting more different, your your whole neighborhood's gonna go to hell. It's time for us to be more different than we are same. And it doesn't start with our kids. It starts with us. I brought up Kevin earlier, so I'll close with this thought about him. Kevin has always been smart. So smart. He was a challenge to raise because his logic was impeccable and his ability to argue was invincible. And he was just to try to explain to him why you are hitting his bottom because he hit his brother's shoulder, and he tells you the logic of that is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, More often than not, when Kevin was ever in trouble, which was more often than not, uh, it wasn't because of something he did. It was because of something he said. He talked constantly. Uh, If he was quiet even for 15 minutes, we went looking for him. He was like sick or dead or, or doing something he shouldn't be doing. Um, and only a few of Kevin's teachers really liked him. Now, he had such great self-confidence, he thought more of them liked him than did. <laughs> but others of them were very clear with him. He knew they didn't like him. And that's kind of hard on a fifth grader. But it was mainly because his fault. It was mainly because of his unsolicited, smart-aleck comments. He could get the whole class laughing at you, and you're the teacher, Unfortunately, Kevin's IQ developed much earlier than his social IQ uh, or any compassion he would have for that underpaid woman at the front of the class. So we walked the tightrope with him for those 12 years, disciplining him one day, and then uh, advocating him the very next day until the day he graduated as a valedictorian of a school that almost kicked him out several times for mouthing off. I'm not saying the vice principal didn't have a a, a good case for expulsion. I am saying that that tired man I talked to didn't understand my son or cared to get to understand my son. I went away angry and then the Lord said, well, that's your job. But I did understand Kevin and I raised him to be the man that he is today. His mom had a lot to do with that as well. But if you know him, he's an exceptional human being. Take heart for your own children. Some of the things right now that are, that are looking so tough, those will ease off, and life will get better. You just stay the course. Figure out how to get yourself some margin, and if you're a single parent, I don't even know what to tell you. I pray for you all the time. It's got to be really hard. But don't give up. And let our church help you as much as we can. And I'll start by praying for you now. Father, we pray for every single parent that can hear my, hear my voice. And even as I was talking, they're thinking, yeah, but, yes, but, oh, yeah. Father, be their sufficiency, be their help, and let this church step up in even greater ways to help. Father, I pray for those of us that are raising kids with physical and, and even mental and emotional uh, challenges And we may know that we're even in for the long haul on this. Lord, I pray that our church would be a refuge and a place of rest and relief. Father, I pray for the marriages that are represented in this room, both first marriages and blended marriages. And I pray that you would help us with whatever conflicts in our home that are emerging right now. And Lord, that the marriages would be kept strong And any disagreement we have about raising the kids would be spoken in private, but we would come at the kids as a united front because the kids need that. Father, I pray for all the children in our congregation of every age that are still living with their parents. Help them to be patient with imperfect parents, but also help them to be obedient and to look into the mirror and say, well, I'm not perfect either. And Father, help us to be truly Christian in everything we say and do, so that we will change the fabric of the East Bay, one thread at a time. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen.